Welcome to everybody, and I want to share with you this morning something that's a little different, and um, I probably have already bitten off more than I can chew, and so this might take two or three weeks, but um, I want to just start with the text anyway. It's in Hebrews in chapter 7. And it says um, in verse 25, Therefore he, Jesus, is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And there's a bunch in that verse that I have started out to include and have been paring it away because it takes too much time. We'll go back there. But what I want to do this morning is he always lives to make intercession. Um, I, I start where Marshall finished. He said, Jesus said, it is finished. And I suppose my question to everybody is, what's he doing now? If Jesus said it's finished, and whichever way you interpret that, finished is finished, so he said, it is finished. So I honestly ask the question, then what does Jesus do now? We, we know what he did in the Gospels. We know the sufferings, the death, the resurrection, the ascension. And what happened next? What is Jesus doing now? Um, so, some people even act as if he retired and is now just left to the adoration of people. But Jesus didn't retire. In fact, he is now implementing everything that he had done. So it's finished, but now Jesus is putting that into practice so that in this room, wherever you are, right at this moment, Jesus, alive, is implementing what he has done and making real in our lives what otherwise would become ancient history. Amen. And if I miss this, if I miss it, that's all I've got. I've got the ashes, ashes of what once was a living thing that now is simply reported to me every Sunday as ancient history. And wouldn't it be great if, and if you try hard, you might get somewhere close to it. But there's no life unless you realize what I'm about to try and talk about, which is what Jesus is doing right now. It's called intercession. Let, let me say this right away, which is really, it needs to be said, put it that way. From beginning to end, the gospel is the wonder. And I say wonder, I didn't say a miracle. A miracle is sort of down here. A wonder is up here. Uh, in the Hebrew language, a wonder or wonderful means that which is beyond the imagination, beyond all thought of any human being, to begin even to comprehend it in thought, and let alone ability. And so he is saying, it's beyond your thinking, it's beyond your imagination, there's no ability in you to ever do it. You can't even think it. That's a wonder, or wonderful. 
And that's a fact. And it's often overlooked, I think, that, that you cannot move in the gospel without confronting the wonder. I mean, come on. The wonder begins with the incarnation. Now, some people can hardly pronounce the word. What, what is incarnation? We, we say God himself, God the Son, took to himself our humanness and he became a genuine human among us. So that the bottom line is he's a hundred percent human while simultaneously a hundred percent God. And when I meet him, I meet someone who looks like a Middle Eastern carpenter, and yet I meet the person who is God with us. Now, can you think that? If you say it enough times, you get used to it and forget it. But can you see that as an absolute reality, more real than the chair you're sitting on, that God himself joined the human race? And now I can relate to God as human to human and know that he relates to me. And when I say, you wouldn't know what I've been through today, he said, I do. Oh, I've been through it. He's been through every anxiety. He's been through all the taxes with the Romans. He's been through all the hatred of religion. He's been through the whole. There's no place in your life where you tread, you will not see ahead of you the footsteps of Jesus. He's been there. Now that's, more than a miracle. That's a wonder. It leaves me speechless. Uh, what about that he lived a life among us? He who is creator, who made every blade of grass and every mosquito, and yet when he became human and lived among us, nobody recognized him. And when he just began even to attempt to say who he was, they wanted to kill him for blasphemy and said, who do you think you are? We know you're only the carpenter and you can't. That's incredible. But the fact that he chose, he who is God chose to die. He began the whole process, if you remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they come to arrest him, which in itself was rather strange because 6,000 soldiers turned up to arrest one man. And they were scared of him. They knew there's something different. And he said, who are you seeking? They said, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he then uttered the name of God and said, I am. And 6,000 Roman soldiers fell on their back. Now that tells me he established from the get-go, I'm in charge here. Now, shall we go through this again? Who are you looking for? Okay, I'm come and arrest me. They didn't arrest him. He gave himself to them. So he is saying, this, this gets, I say, a wonder that God joined the human race with the absolute intention of suffering. And it wasn't, I say, they didn't kidnap him. He chose. He let them do it. And in choosing to suffer, they then crucified him. And all his response was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. These were professional crucifiers. They went from sight to sight. That's all they did is crucify. They'd never, in all their years, in all the dialects of the Roman Empire, all they'd heard was cursing them, damning them to hell. With every slam of the hammer, they got a mouthful of curses back. And this one says, I love you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That in itself is a wonder. 
They buried him, buried God, and then he came out of the tomb in such a fashion that death died. He didn't come out just by slipping back into life again. Death died, and he came out of the tomb. Now, that's never happened before. It's never happened since. Only one person in all of time and space and history has ever risen from the dead in that fashion. That's a wonder. Can't even subject it to science. (laughs) A wonder, a wonder. And then God, the Holy Spirit, came upon the 120 and then continued coming upon so that human beings, now we've got down to just me and you, human beings became the residency of the Holy Spirit. And the man you met yesterday is a totally different, per- totally different person you meet today because now he's caught up, he's entangled with the Holy Spirit. A wonder. Now, you've looked at me as if that's true. Well, now just take it one more step. I'm now talking about what Jesus is doing today. Do you expect it to be less than a wonder? Am I going to talk about this as if it's a whole hum? We are right now in the middle of the wonder that Jesus is still here And the wonder of what he's doing has increased until it involves every human being on the planet. The difference is it's the world of invisible. And some people say, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. Don't be daft. You, You live in the 21st century. You're surrounded by invisible. This room in which we sit right now is throbbing with invisible that you can't see. I mean, this little watch on my hand. You don't you don't believe in things that are beyond your comprehension? Of course you do. You don't believe in the invisible? Of course you do. Look, the, the 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 notes that I have on this iPad, I didn't type them on the iPad. I can't explain this. I typed them on another computer. And while I typed them on another computer, they came up on this iPad. Now, that's spooky to me, because that's not only the case. There were two other computers they came up on. How does that happen? There were no cords. I mean, I was raised sort of scientifically. We, we had an electric fire, and you had a long, clumsy cord that connected it to the wall. Makes sense, sort of. But there were no cords. There's no cords here, no cords, Nothing. And yet what I put here comes up there. That's, I mean, that's just clumsy science. I'm talking about God, the creator, who's incarnate to have suffered, died, risen again, and is now doing something right here. So this is just clumsy stuff. But at least you, you, you do see it. You, you believe in the invisible. I could keep going. I don't want to waste time. Um when you drive home, as you're driving toward a blank wall, you just touch a little thing and the garage door goes up in front of you. No cords, nothing, just you slamming about, crash into the wall and up goes the doors. Yeah. And I saved this 
before I got here, and it told me it had gone into the cloud. <laughs> I still haven't figured that out. We used to say it's raining cats and dogs. Now it rains documents. Is it? <laughs> We've got clouds. You know what I'm saying. You got so used to invisible, so used to what 20 years ago would be called a wonder, that you dismiss it and then say, but I can't believe that God is invisible. Okay. <laughs> Enough said. He always lives. He said, always he lives. Which means, try and take this in, that Jesus, as was known, not only in the Gospels, but in the early church, was known completely to be present and to be acting in their lives in this word intercession. He says, and he is alive doing exactly the same thing, which 90% of Christians don't believe. Of course, they, they've been taught that because somebody back in the 6th century said the Holy Spirit had retired and, and now nothing you read in the Bible is applicable today because that was just for the beginning. And, and so we stumble along trying to make things happen without the Holy Spirit. Well, of course, that was all a lie. I'll go, it wasn't only a religious lie, it was a satanically inspired lie. And it was repeated about a 100 years ago and so anybody you speak to in churches today do not believe that Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday. Not practically speaking. You might mouth it, might sing it, but practically speaking, no, he retired. No. What we're talking about today is that a Jesus who was here He's now passed into the invisible, which we're all now fully aware of invisibility. He passed into that invisible and is now doing wonders in our lives the same as he did in the New Testament. You see, what is intercession? Just put everything I've just said on hold because that's the canvas on which I'm saying all of this. Intercession. Have you ever heard the word before? It's a sort of a... Very religious word. You don't go down to the grocery store and talk about intercession. It's intercession is, yeah, today's language is a sort of clumsy word, but it's got a mass of meanings that are very, very ordinary. But many people think intercession means prayer. Um, I don't know where you got that from, actually. But no, it doesn't mean prayer. Prayer is a little tiny part of it. But intercession is, is much bigger. And when they say Jesus is interceding for us, I, I checked up on what do most of the Christian churches believe. And um, it, it goes something like Jesus is having a nonstop prayer meeting somewhere. And he's talking to the father that is portrayed, and I'm not caricaturing this. What do you think of the father? Most denominations would say that he's reluctant. He's remote. Lord knows he's far from us. And he's disinterested, really. And Jesus is having this prayer meeting. Um, many will say wrestles in prayer. I suppose if the father is reluctant and remote, you better wrestle in prayer. 
And Jesus is wrestling with the Father, begging him to give you and I something that he doesn't want to give us. Or to stop something happening to us that he would rather let it happen. And the Father seems to have a bad memory because Jesus has to keep reminding him uh, what he's done for us. I, I read it, and I won't say the book. I don't want the the fellow who wrote it is actually a friend of mine, sort of, and and he's a great guy. But he's he's into this, and in the book he he illustrates it by saying the father and the son are sort of talking, uh, and then he comes through the whatever in heaven to say that somebody is praying to the father. And this is his interpretation. He said, the father said, who are they? What right have they got to talk to me? I don't know them. And Jesus said, oh, father, you must remember, I died for them so you can listen to them. And the father said, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten. Yeah, okay, let him on. And, well, to me, that is blasphemy. Blasphemy to think of the father in those terms, it separates the Father and the Son. The Trinity means that the Father is in, so united to the Son, that where the Son is, the Father is. It means that all the Father is, is poured into the Son, and the Son gives himself away to the Father. And they are, the word in the Greek language is face to face, I die. And the Holy Spirit is the one who dances and holds it all together. The idea of two separated and having separate agendas. And of course it separates us. The whole New Testament says we are in Christ. In, 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 in. And if we're in Christ, well, Christ is in the Father. So I'm not outside somewhere getting a lone little voice up to heaven and hope the Father hears it. I'm inside of Jesus who is inside of the Father I couldn't be closer. But this idea that Jesus is having a prayer meeting to try and make things happen that the Father doesn't want to happen. No, this is intercession. It's it's an Old Testament word, essentially. It's in the New Testament, but it's really developed in the Old Testament. In one sentence, intercession means the meeting. That's the big word. The meeting of two parties. Okay, just a very ordinary, everyday illustration. Um, you know, we were married almost exactly two years ago, Cheryl. And, and um, well, you know, when you're younger, uh, you go to meet the parents. When you're our age, you go to meet the kids. <laughs> and, um, and so Cheryl took me to meet her children, and she said, and of course this is no big deal, um, she's probably forgot she said it, she said, Malcolm, I want you to meet my children. And she said to the children, meet Malcolm. She was an intercessor. An intercessor is one who brings about a meeting. And it's as simple as that. That's a simple meaning of the word. And, and you could be in the same room as somebody that you don't know, 
and would not know until someone comes in and says, I want you to meet my friend. And you meet someone you never expected to meet, but you meet them and it sets up a friendship that lasts, you know, that, that's intercession, used in its simple everyday term. And Jesus is the ultimate intercessor because we believed that we were separated from God. That is the essence of sin. He's up, we're down. And there's no connection. We don't, we're separated. And separated, we believe God has rejected us. We believe the separation comes from his side. He's because we're no good. We're unworthy. We're sinful. We're taught God is too holy to look at sin. So I'm out. I'm rejected. Well, Jesus is God joining us. That kind of blows that out of the water. If God joins us, he's hardly rejecting us. If God came to sleep on a human bed and eat breakfast at a human table and said, I am one with you forever, I'm never going to give this human up, then that, that means that he hasn't rejected us. It means that he does love us, and it means that all the darkness thinking we're separated and no good is on our side. We've got a mental problem, and God came into the darkness of our mind and says, I'm not who you think I am. Jesus was saying, human race, meet my father. He's not who you think he is. And he said, when I come here, the father in me is meeting you. It's intercession. It's bringing about this meeting. Emmanuel, the Hebrew word Emmanuel, means God with us. That's intercession. God now met with us, and in so doing, we meet with God. So intercession is bringing about a meeting. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father, meets the Father, except by me. And so, again, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because they said to him, show us the Father. We want to meet the Father. And he said, have you been so long time with me? I am the way. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am in him. He's in me. It's when you, you got that. Intercession is God coming to us saying, you've never yet met me, you don't know me, because sin has blinded your mind. But now I have come. I've come as human. I didn't come as a, a blasting spirit to scare you. I have joined you as one of you, and now I want to have you meet my father. That's what it incidentally never said, you'll go to heaven when you die. Religion made that up. Jesus always said, I've come that you may come to the Father. Meet the Father. Come to me and me's in the Father. And so the gospel stories take on another meaning. Well, not another meaning, but it expands. If you realize the whole of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are full of intercessions, meetings, right from the beginning of John. Right, John, Andrew, run after Jesus and said, where do you live? Jesus turned and said, come and see. And a meeting took place. 
And the meeting transformed two teenagers, John and Andrew. You get that. Matthew, the tax gatherer, Jesus simply looked at him. He says, follow me, meet with me. And, and Matthew leaves everything to meet with Jesus. And in that meeting, Matthew is never the same again. Zacchaeus climbs up the tree so he can get a better view. Jesus looks up the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I must. It's of a necessity I come to your house and spend the night with you. A meeting. You know, it wasn't just a little man up a tree. Uh, this is a meeting between Jesus and Zacchaeus, the woman of Samaria. There was a meeting at the well that caused her to drop her water pot and run back. You've got to see this man. You've got to see it. I've met a man. See, it's a meeting. The woman taken in adultery, about to be stoned to death by religion. And, and, and Jesus gets them away. And then he turns to her and said, where are your accusers? No, no, no one's accusing me. And Jesus didn't accuse. And there was a meeting between him and this woman that forever changed her life. See, it's a meeting um, on the Emmaus Road after he was risen from the dead. You know, he joined them because they'd never, the last they saw of him was hanging on a cross, one bloody mess. Now, walking beside them on the road, they didn't recognize him. Uh, and he answers their questions and he builds a friendship and they persuade him to come in for supper. And he turns that supper into a Eucharist. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he blessed it. And it says he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Their eyes were open. They saw him. They knew him. That was a meeting. And the moment that meeting was accomplished, he disappeared from their sight. I, I won't go on. Um, it's, it means it is finished. That is everything Father, Son, and Holy Spirit planned for humans before there was time, space, or humans. The blueprint for our existence has been accomplished. It's done. Now humans can live like humans were always intended to live in a union with God. And so he entered into death and he meets with the devil who started the whole mess. And it says that he crushed the devil's head. And when he rose from the dead, he had already said, it's finished. I have just entered into death to defeat death. The whole thing is done. It's finished. The meeting. Light met darkness and the darkness collapsed. Amen. The Savior met sin and sin was cancelled. Have you thought in the story of the, the lost sheep? Lost sheep is dead on its feet. And then the lost sheep met the shepherd. And everything changes from that time on, you know. 
the prodigal son comes home and all he can think of is, I'm a no good, lousy wretch. I'm, I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that met the father who said, you are my son. Put a robe on him. Let's have a feast. It's a meeting. You know, see, life met death and death died. God's love, which is totally self-giving, met with human love, which is me for me. And they call it born again. It's a new life. Despair, sadness, sorrow, hopelessness, met with God joy. And it says, and sorrow and sighing flees away. You know, disharmony, chaos, Met with shalom, perfect peace. Health and wholeness met with sickness of mind, sickness of emotion, sickness of body, and they were made whole. Weakness met with strength. That's just looking at the basic meaning of the word, the meeting that changes everything and has taken place in God himself meeting us, literally human eye to human eye. But there's many other, what would you call it, nuances of the word, uh, twists on that as it's used in the Old Testament. There's one, it, it means to take hold together against. That is, you've got a problem. A big problem. An intercessor says, linking arms with you, said, we're together in this against your problem. And that is what God has done. That's what God does to us. On a very regular basis, actually. Um, what? There's another one. It's a good one. It means uh, to come upon a place by chance. Um, yeah, you remember Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau and um, he fled too too long and now it's getting dark. And in those days, no hotels, of course, if getting dark, you are in trouble. And, and he comes and he says, in Genesis, it said, by chance, he came upon this little little town. And But he was scared of the town. Who knows, they might be enemies. And so he lays on a rock outside the town. And in the night he has a dream of a ladder reaching to heaven and God making covenant with him. And he wakes up in the morning and he said, God was in this place and I didn't know it. Um, and he changed the name of the place to Bethel, which means the gate of God. Um, I could really go on that one. Um, because this is this this is intercession. It's happening to us all the time, um, by chance, by chance. You don't get up in the morning and say, "I plan, I plan, I plan." Well, you probably do, but but life is what happens to you while you were planning to do something else, and many times we don't recognize it. But that's intercession. God's purpose is that by chance 
that's without any plan, without any even know, knowing where you are, you will come upon, and as you do so, you, you realize you're in the right place at the right time, and this chance is really a divine appointment. You know, I, I, I left San Antonio oh, three, three, four years ago. I never, never had it in my mind I was going now to get married. I was going to preach a convention in Houston. And as I'm preaching the convention in Houston, by chance, I looked at the front row and saw this lady crying her eyes out for joy. Uh, by chance. She didn't plan to sit there under my nose. I didn't plan to go there and find a woman. I went there to preach a convention and come home. Do you, do you see what I mean? It's by chance. But chance is in the hand of the intercessor himself. Um, another meaning of the word, do you see by chance there was a meeting? The meeting is always there in these definitions. Um, so another one is you've got a burden and someone meets you and carries the burden for you. Uh it means the border that belongs to you. The border. Um, okay, you drive out 173 and you'll come to a little sign by the road, Kerr County. And you know Bandera County goes right up to there. And there's a meeting between Bandera County and Kerr County and there's a line that says this is Bandera, this is Kerr. It's the same with your garden. It's got a fence around it probably. If not, somebody's got the dimensions. And that's the line that says, this is yours. Anybody but you who comes here is trespassing. And you have the right, because you're in Texas, to shoot them and send them away. But, um, but sort of, that's the meaning of intercession. It means that the intercessor himself has said, when I died and rose again, I give you this. Yes. These are your boundaries, which for us are out of sight. <laughs> but these are your boundaries, and there is no demonic nor any flesh of this world that could come here and take it away from you. That's intercession, you see. He declares the boundaries and enforces them. Another one that I like is if you're with a bow and arrow and your arrow hits the bullseye, that's intercession because your arrow has met with the place that you aimed it at. And along with that is used in the Old Testament to describe lightning. When lightning leaves the sky and hits the earth, there's a meeting between the lightning and the earth. And they call that, in Hebrew, intercession. It's where the two meet together. Um, well, you see, um, it's when two persons encounter the meeting, but this time one is asking of the other. Uh, and there is, that's the closest this word gets to prayer. 
that that you you, you ask. Um, Jesus is the finished work. Uh, don't don't be quick to say yes to that. Many people think Jesus did something, and that resulted in the finished work. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, they do. That's what's believed. That's what we mean. Jesus died for me. And he did something over there in death. I don't know what it was, but he did something, and it was for me. So now I can get it. No, he didn't do anything for you. He did it as you. He was the intercessor. There was a meeting between you and him. You didn't know about it, but there was. He took you, you as you were, and he says, I become you, a, a meeting between his humanity and your humanity has taken place. And then because he's God, he said, now let me take care of this. And when he carried you to death, there's a wonder. You really died. And you really rose again. It was a, a meeting that took place that changed you forever. And it was an intercession but it wasn't that he just did something. He is the intercession. He is the finished work. Your life is him. It's not an it that you got because you raised your hand and said the sinner's prayer. He is your life. He started this. He initiated it. The father sent him. He came. And all this happened before you knew anything about it. But a meeting took place resulting who you are. He is the finished work. He is the Christian life. Therefore, the Christian life is not a formula. It's not a list of rules. It is a relationship, the very deep level between you and the intercessor. And the, another word, well, it's not another word for intercessor, but it comes close to what we're trying to say here, is executor. That is more known today, an executor of your will. What, what, what's that? Well, an executor carries out the terms of the document. That is, I write a will. Well, I won't be here to make sure you get what I said I wanted you to have. So I appoint an executor who watches over my will to make sure everybody gets what I promised. It's an executor. An executor puts that will that's been sitting in a safe for the last 40 years. Now the executor puts it into practice, puts it into action, into effect here and now. You're going to get it now. He, he promised it to you. Now he's gone. Well, I'm here to make sure you get. Yes. Jesus, how can I put this? Jesus died... The new covenant is his will. But to make sure you get it, he rose again. He's the executor too. And so he is the will. He is everything God ever promised to you. But he's also risen from the dead to be the executor of his own will. Does that make sense? He makes sure that everything the Holy Trinity said since before time about you and I is actually put into practice. So he, he himself, 
I've got to keep saying that because so many people look at salvation as a thing, an it, a piece of paper. They, they, they look at the Bible as the central and be all. I, I've, with tongue in cheek, I've said most of the church today believes in Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Um, there's no life to it. They just memorize texts. It could be a science textbook that they're cramming for an exam. Um, no. I believe the Bible to be the Word of God, at least in the original manuscripts. And, and I believe that. I've memorized the New Testament when I was 17. So don't come back and say he doesn't believe the Bible. I do. But if that's all you've got, you, you've missed the whole point. I, I can't read the scripture without the author sitting beside me explaining it. Right. The Holy Spirit. Um, I can't get that unless the one who it's all about is the executor of his own will and, and gives it to me. We're in the world of wonder. And that might sound like a wonder, but that is how it works. He's the gift. He is the gift. The Father said, I give you my son. The son said, I give you myself. That Can I grasp it? I don't know if I've got the words to say it. That God himself has gifted himself with no strings attached to us. I have received from God the gift of God with no strings attached. That's the gospel. So he doesn't give us a thing called life. He gave himself to us and he is life. When he said, you are not of this world, even as I am not of this world, I, I'm in that now because if God himself has joined himself to me, then I'm certainly not being guided and drifted by the winds of this world. It's different. If, if, if I have any doubts about that, the last thing Jesus did before he went to the cross was take the position of the lowest servant in the house, kneel at their feet, including the feet of Judas, and he washed their feet, which was done every day in Israel at that time. It was custom. But it was the either the youngest child that could be enough to do something, but more likely the lowest slave in the house, servant. And they would do that. As you came in through the door, you would be greeted by that servant slave, and they would kneel at your feet, and they would take your feet out of the sandal, which is now all covered with the dust of the Middle Eastern roads, and, and they would wash your feet and they would pour beautiful perfume over it and you would feel like a million dollars. Well, Jesus, creator, God, knelt at our feet. If you can ever get past my words to grasp that, Jesus took the position of the lowest servant in the house and washed our feet. If that isn't himself 
being given to us. God becomes the servant of every person, including Judas. When Judas left that upper room to betray him, he went with damp feet, just having been washed by the one he was to betray. So, this is the one who's the intercessor. He's not in a remote office doing his business. We are one with him. He said, I am in you. You are in me. He's not up there. Religion invented that. He, by the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. The intercessor who is meeting me, who is arranging meetings of every description to bring about his purpose, lives inside of me, and I live inside of him. And that's relationship at its max. But inside of me, he is there to serve me. That's, I, you know, I, that feel, it feels awkward in my mouth to say that. But that's what it says. He's come. And he's come and come into me, not as a roommate. It isn't that, you know, Jesus has a room to the left of my kidneys and um, I have the other side. When you say he lives in me, I'm 100% me. But within every part of me, infused into every minute of my existence, Christ lives in me. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a two-headed creature. And... I am, I am fully here. In fact, more fully than before I found all this out. Uh, I'm, I'm really here. And um, because he is really here. And do you remember when I said intercession is you've, you've got a problem and he comes and puts his arm through your arm and says, we will handle this. That is, you're not. You don't disappear. You don't lose yourself in him. In fact, you find yourself in him. Yes. Um, it, it, it means that when I say that wasn't me, it was the Lord. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> if that's the case, the Lord only had half of it because mm-hmm. he wants to make you a real genuine person. Mm-hmm. And so he, he gives you his strength, but you do it. Um, if after you came to me and says, you know, you enjoyed this message, it really spoke to me, I would say, thank you. You know, I'm not going to say, well, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. That's daft, because I know it's me sitting here doing it. It's, but I also know that I live, I live, but with a wink, I live, but not I. It's Christ who lives in me. There's two of us. We're working as absolutely one. It it means that what we're doing this is a this is a meeting, you see. But it really is, because Christ in me and Christ in you, we are meeting. And there's a sense in which anything can happen. Anything can happen. Um and, and have you noticed that it's people, situations 
that make you feel your weakness. And I should, in one sense, I should never feel weak when I know Christ himself is my life, my strength. But it's almost necessary. Things come into your life and you suddenly feel, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I'm, I'm drowning in the circumstance. And at that point, the intercessor reminds me we've met. And in that meeting, in that meeting, he says, relax, I'll handle this. I don't know a better way of saying it, because that's exactly what happens. Um, you're, You're challenged to love somebody that to everything, and you as a human say they're unlovable. And I hear the intercessor say, I'll give you my love. That will cover it. There's a meeting. And in the meeting, an exchange. And I love, but not I. And yet I am. That is Christ who has shared his love with me. And I can now give it away. Um, Cheryl has experienced this more than I could ever dream when she... She works in prisons and works on death row and, and can sit there and meet meet with people that have murdered in brutal fashion and find the love of God in her to give to them. That's a wonder. There's the wonder of his intercession. For me to joy, really to joy in this world at all, is a wonder. To know what to do when I don't know what to do. And I receive God's wisdom. That's a wonder. A meeting has taken place. So, and I recognize he establishes the boundaries. That's a daily thing. When I'm challenged, you know, you, you can't do this, you can't do this. There's no strength in you. And and I've forgotten. I've forgotten that he he said the boundaries. Of course you can. This is your your life. Um, See, prayer, and really I think I'm going to leave that because prayer is a much bigger subject. But let me just say that the way people pray today is totally foreign to the Bible. We, We have... I say we, I've talked to a lot of people about this. Um, We pray a triangle. I'm down here, separated from God the Father. That's a big thing. He's up there. And he doesn't like us, remember. That's what Satan had us believe. Um, Can't stand us, actually. And, And so I've got to tell him that I know I shouldn't be here. And so prayer begins in many, many, many places with I'm unworthy, I'm no God. Oh, God, have mercy on us, please. Well, that's all rubbish because Jesus dealt with that. That's the meaning of the cross and resurrection. He dealt with that, sin wiped out, sin cleansed away. And you're welcomed by the Father because the Father sent him to do it. But as I say, this is how many people pray, that we're down here, we're no good down here, 
and we can't expect God to hear us, so we shout at him, and we cry, and we grovel and yowl, and um, people say that's very holy, and um, you'll get religious points for that, but it doesn't work. But anyway, that's one side of the triangle, and we're talking to him about somebody over here. Again, they're separated from me, and they're separated from God, and I'm talking, and not much happens. We're supposing we go to what we're talking about here and squash it all back where it belongs. There's no triangle, but I, in Christ, am in the Father. So there's no, this is all rubbish here. Uh, I'm in him. I couldn't be closer. I'm closer than whispering in his ear. I'm in him, and he's in me, and he knows me by name. And this person over here, I don't know who they are, but whether they know it or not, they're in him too. Because we're in, in him, not by our initiative, not by our want to, but by what he did. So he includes, so here we are, we're all in him together. So no shouting, no putting ourselves down, no self-loathing, but sitting there as a true child of God, beloved of the Father, and I'm worthy to be there because I'm in Christ. And now the Father's love for this person and the love of Jesus for that person, which is him in me, so I feel that love. And the Holy Spirit, who is the genius of putting all this together. And when we pray, it's not begging God to do something that we want him to do, but he doesn't want to do it. So we've got to... Well, we even have the expression, wrestle in prayer. You're daft. Um, you know, this morning I wrestled with Sharon, Cheryl to give me breakfast. That's crazy she was up before me doing it, you know. Do you follow what I'm saying? That we have this idea of God that he's unapproachable, remote. He's not. We're inside of him. We're inside of an ocean of love. And... When you pray, the intercessor had already been at work. You thought you thought about praying for that. No, no, no. He put that idea in you. He puts this longing. He puts the compassion. He puts the want to inside of you. And when you pray, you're actually in sync with Jesus. That's why you pray in the name of Jesus. That's not merely a religious phrase. In the name of Jesus means I in Christ, Christ in me. We're doing this together. And when I can only say, I think this is what I want, Jesus said, I'll handle that. And I'll put the proper words on it. Jesus is more than a prayer partner. He's the one praying inside of me. Anyway, as I say, I say it now because that is the meaning of the word intercession. But... Um, See, we don't pray to get God involved. I mean, really, that is a bit arrogant, isn't right. it? We, our prayer is an assured response that he is already involved and he's given me the privilege of joining him. Yeah. And asking is not begging. And forgive me, I've used this illustration before, but... I'm going down the street to the bank and there is a beggar on the side of the road and they ask me for a dime or more. 
Do you see? They are actually saying, have mercy on me. I mean, that's biblical language, what they're doing. Have mercy on me. I'm not going to work for it. I'm begging you, I'm begging you, I'm begging you. I need, I need, I need. Um, he was asking me. Well, I go down the street to the bank and I walk into the bank and go to the teller. I, I don't say, oh, merciful teller. <laughs> I beg you for $100. I beg you. No, I go in, I say, hi there. Put the slip across $100. Talk about the weather. No, no concern whatsoever. I'm asking. I just meant that chap down the street was asking. What's the difference between my asking? Because when I ask Wells Fargo for $100, they've already assured me in a monthly letter to me that I've got $100 is mine. My asking is based on the fact I have it already there. The beggar was asking based on the fact he knew he didn't have a dime. He groveled and moaned, I am talking about anything under the sun because it's of no concern. I want my $100, thank you. Intercession, you see, that was a meeting. And in that meeting, I was assured, this is yours. Ask for it. Asking creates a relationship. It's not begging. It's simply we're sharing together in the concern in front of us. Um, The... Those chance meetings are often attended by the strike of lightning. I I have been urged to tell my story. I mean, 71 years in the ministry, I should have a story or two. And um, I, I don't tell them because many times then people want to have the same experience. My life is peppered with lightning strikes in chance places. It began um, when I was 13 and um, by chance, really not wanting to be there, one eye on the door ready to get out as fast as possible. And it was what today would be called a charismatic meeting. I didn't like the people. I didn't like what they were doing. All I wanted to get out of there. And the Holy Spirit came upon me in such a fashion that I was in the prayer room for four hours into the early hours of the morning. And the following Sunday I was preaching. I was was transformed. Now that, in the first place, was a chance because I shouldn't have been there. I didn't want to be there. I found myself there. And secondly, what hit me was God's lightning, that it hit me bullseye. Nobody else seemed to even know what was going on, but it was hitting me. And it wasn't a nasty hit. 
it was I was hit by a love lightning. I was gripped by a grace event. See what I mean? Um, I, I didn't know there was something missing. I knew God is love, but I really didn't feel that was there. There'd got to be something to tie that together. And this was way into the 1970s. And I was preaching in a church and the pastor said, I, you know, no meeting tonight, so would you want to come with me? He was a businessman. And he said, I've got some work in a, a monastery. He said, if you've never seen a monastery, he said, you might as well come with me and see the monastery and then come home. Well, sure, I'd never seen a monastery. So go there. Got nothing better to do. He goes off to do whatever he used to do in the monastery, and I saw the monastery. There's not much to see. You see where they sleep, see where they eat, see where they wash, and the lounge. Okay, I go to the lounge, and I sat there. going to wait now till he's finished his business. And the monks came in. Monks that, you know, just like they look in the movies. And um, I didn't think I've got anything in common to talk about well it was a intercession it was a meeting and it was as if the Holy Spirit had told them all about me before I got there and they said you know you've come this far but there's something missing there's something missing you bet there is I didn't know anybody else knew that and they introduced me to what was the foundation of the early church which was the Holy Trinity. And to realize God couldn't be love unless there was more than one person because love doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's got to be two at least. And they talked to me the whole afternoon. It was as if an entirely new understanding of the entire Bible burst on me. And when my friend came to go home, I just got in his truck like a dazed man. I don't even know the name of that monastery. I'm not sure where it is, except somewhere in Pennsylvania. I don't know who the monks were. I had been involved in a chance. I chanced upon. And while I was there, a strike of love lightning opened up my brain, made me a new place. Tell you, um, it's fun when you're part of it. I, I was lost in Zimbabwe. I was somewhere in the middle of a jungle, and I knew I was approximately a thousand miles from civilization. I didn't know where I was going at this point. I'd started out knowing where I was going, kind of got lost. And it was coming on evening, and you don't want to be in the jungle at night alone. I had two other guys with me. And as we're going, I mean, nowhere to go, we saw smoke coming up through the trees. There's a human being in there somewhere. And we go, not sure who that human being, well, it turned out, to be government uh, game wardens. Uh, 
who were there to stop the poaching. But they're, they're very isolated people living up there, long way from civilization, uh, never see civilization for months, just protecting the animals. And out of the jungle I come into their, it was a, more like a camp than a site. And um, I said, could I have a bed for the night? And so, you know, who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing in the middle of the jungle? And I told them. One of them was the boss. And he came to me, he said, I, I just came back from Harare, which is the one of the big towns there, uh, many, many hundreds of miles away. And he said, I was there on furlough. It's my time off. And he said, I walked into a meeting there and I met Jesus. And he said, I know something's happened to me. He said, I'm not the man I was. But he said, then I had to come back here. I, I don't know. He said, I don't know what happened. But he said, um, I've tried to tell all the other guys what happened, but I really don't know what happened. And so it's a big mix-up. He said, in my house where I live, he was the only one with a real house, and he said, I've got a what do you think that you've got electricity the whole time. Um, it's a word for it. Whatever it is, yeah. Um, anyway, he could have light. And, and so he said, would you come to my house? I'll get all the guys in. And, and if you tell them what's happened to me and tell me what's happened to me, he said, then you can have a bed for the night. And so, yeah, I did. And, well, for those guys, I've often thought that man pacing in his room, praying the best way he knew how as to what has happened to me. Where, where is this going? And then this big draggled, tired guy emerges out of the jungle. Do you understand? I'd been caught up in, in the inter intercessor's intercession that he arranged for me to get lost. Think about that. Jesus arranged for me to get lost so that I would stumble by chance upon that camp to be the answer to a man's prayer. I, I've often thought about, you know, and um, yeah, I hope you get the point of that. Um, another one, I my first trip to Africa, I'd been in Africa about two hours or more. In I mean, I'm talking very short time. I'd landed, um, Pan Am dropped me in Monrovia, and then a little Piper Cub, we went off into the jungle. And, um, well, I won't, I'll just say it without all the background, that um, a banana plantation just up the road had made a deal with some witch doctors that if they would come to their airstrip and they would do their witch doctor dances and all the other things they do, uh, they would give them 10 cases of vodka. And it was, and so the witch doctors 
We're going to dance on the airstrip of the banana plantation. They said, you're never going to see this again. They don't do this. And so they sent a message to the mission station. Now that mission station should be taken to the woodshed and, and to to hear that the witch doctors are doing a witch dance. And be, this is almost, you know, it's like a, a fun time at the carnival. And the mission station says, we've got to see this. You never see this again. And so by the time I land on their airstrip, they're all preparing. They say, we're going up the road to the banana plantation to see the witch dance. I, as I say, I just arrived. I had no idea. And I was going what the missionary said we'd do. Huh. When we got there, a thousand witch doctors came out of the bush, wow. painted, masked the whole nine yards, and they began with that terrible beat of the drum, hypnotic beat of the drum, and they were doing something like, you'd call it a conga dance. They were all behind each other. They all had a machete, and they were dancing with the machete stretched in front of them. And then the, the lead went into the crowd of the banana plantation and began weaving their dance between the people. Of course, they thought that was great. Oh, that's great. The witch doctors are dancing between us, you know. Then they moved down to the mission station guys and did the same thing. And I don't know, I think they almost knew by some satanic knowledge something about me, because when they came to me, they didn't weave, they circled. And they circled with their machetes. I had a necklace of machetes around my neck as they were dancing around me. And they were dancing me, pushing me out onto the airstrip. And I found myself out in the middle of the airstrip, far from the people, a thousand witch doctors dancing around me. And suddenly the drum stopped and everybody stopped as if there was an invisible conductor. And rising up in front of me was one of the witch doctors. He had on a mask with slits for eyes. And when I looked into those eyes, I was looking into the eyes of Satan, black, menacing, malicious. They speak English there. And he said, I am the Lord Demon of Liberia. And you will now kneel down and acknowledge that I am the Lord of Liberia. Now, up to that point... I was terrified. I mean, there's no other word for it. Um, passports don't mean much to wish doctors. And um, there, I, as they were pushing me out to the field, I was in a cold sweat, telling myself, you absolute idiot. Why would you ever have come into the middle of a witch dance? But when that man said those words, I am the Lord of Liberia, the demon Lord, and you will bow and acknowledge that. There was an intercessory strike of lightning. I mean, it was invisible. 
that I felt, bam, I felt, I felt taller than trees. I felt higher than mountains. I felt authority totally outside of natural and what I've been. And I looked straight into his eyes and I said, I am the ambassador of the Lord who created heaven and earth and Liberia. He is the Lord of Liberia, Lord Jesus Christ. And you will kneel and acknowledge that. And bam, he went down like a sack of potatoes. No one knew what to do. They all sort of embarrassed. They quietly disappeared back into the jungle. That night, they sacrificed him for what he'd done because he bowed. I broke out into a cold sweat again. <laughs> what have I, what's happened, you know, the, after the fact? But do you understand? I, that's a lengthy thing. But do you understand what I mean? Intercession. That had nothing to do with me praying. Nothing to do with me confessing my faith. I was standing there scared spitless. But Jesus was interceding. And he gave me strength, wisdom, ability, you name it, that was not natural to me. And I spoke beyond my spoke. I and then lay awake all night realizing what had happened. And, you know. No, I say that because sometimes you think, you know, we men of faith and power and we never feel afraid. Oh, no. There's fear. But in the midst of it, there was an intercessor who was within me, you see. He's not up. He's facing this with me, in me. I'm facing it through his eyes now. And he opened my eyes to see that. Anyway. Amen. Yeah, there's... That's a good introduction. Anyway, <laughs> it's a massive subject. But I trust that... If I can know that you go from here to know that you are never... You are incapable of being alone. You cannot be alone. Christ is in you, and where Christ is, the Father is, and where the Father is, the Spirit is. Yes. You are entangled with God. Yes. And that God in the face of Jesus Christ is your intercessor. Yes. And you can, you can get up and look at the day as bristling with potential. Where are you going to meet the intercession of Jesus Christ the Lord today. Yes. And when you get lost in the jungle, you know you're not really lost. You're under a divine appointment. Yes. It's, it's, you're in the right place at the right time. Oh, oh, come on, amen. Amen, amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What else is there left to say? That you are the initiator of this life that you have given us this life in Jesus and that all our days are in your hands. And wherever we go, whatever we do, you uphold us by the word of your power. And we thank you. We thank you for those here and on Zoom that are here. 
by chance. We thank you that you are speaking to them because you brought them here, you brought us here. We thank you. And into your hands we commit the rest of this service and this week. Lord Jesus Christ, amen.